when I was a very little girl and sat in church with my grandmother and we recited the Lord's Prayer, I would close my eyes and just picture the words floating up to heaven and to God. And of course, he looked like the God in my Bible storybook. Big guy, long white beard, white robe, wise, strong. And he was smiling. And sometimes he would close his eyes as all the words just floated up to him. And it made me so happy to think that some of my words were floating up along with all the other words and that it would make him and the angels smile. And so now you get a glimpse into my little kid mind. As I got a little older, but still a really little kid, I got that same feeling when we would sing certain hymns at certain times. Jesus Christ is Risen Today was one of those, because after all, don't we always sing that at Easter? I could just picture Jesus and the angels breathing in the celebration and the praise of that song that were sung by all the churches, well, at least all the Presbyterian churches. And I can remember feeling like part of a bigger whole, like part of something that was a community, people I knew and loved, tradition, togetherness. And I got a bigger sense of what it meant to be church. Today on World Communion Sunday, we join Christians from all countries around the world in celebrating communion. And as I am now much older, I can hear communion being celebrated in all kinds of different languages, literally from Arabic to Zulu and a whole bunch of them in between all around the globe. Christians of every tribe, every tongue, every continent, the churches all around our city are all joining us, brothers and sisters in Christ, to celebrate communion at his table. When I was little, when Communion Sunday rolled around, I would try to imagine how big the table of communion was in heaven when I got there. And I'd picture this long, undulating table with a flowing white tablecloth that stretched out onto the blue horizon on the top of a big grassy green hill. A little bit more of a glimpse into my little kid mind. But now, as I am much older, what I see is the one to whom we all hold, the one who holds us all is the only table there is and the only table we'll ever need. The journey from one single little one to one little one of many to the one who holds us all. The journey from self to community to him, to our source. Now, I'm aware that the entire chapter of John 6 is not usual scripture for Communion Sunday, but its arc of a story tells that same journey through the eyes of the disciples. As you heard in Louisa's terrific children's story, John 6 starts with a really familiar story we all know, the feeding of the 5,000. The crowd is gathered on a hillside after a long day of listening to Jesus. Darkness is approaching, and Jesus turns to the apostles and he says, you feed them. Now, Jesus knows the disciples are only seeing a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. But he's been trying to get, to see, get them to see beyond the obvious, to get them to see the miracle that he is, to have the faith that moves mountains and multiplies loaves. In John 5, he talks about the authority that he's been given and the way that he's extending it to them. But he knows that they're not quite ready yet. And so, predictably, the disciples turn it back to Jesus. We can't feed them. You feed them. 
they're still focused, as is the crowd, on their own little selves and their physical need for physical nourishment on their own little selves. So Jesus does what Jesus does. He takes the bread. He blesses it. He gives thanks for it and then breaks it and gives it away, much as he does with us. And the people are fed physically, and the people call him prophet. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. Ah, the story of Jesus walking on the water. This always struck me as a bit of an odd interweaving of stories, but it really plays an important part. It's more than just an interlude that allows us to get Jesus and the disciples from Tiberias to Capernaum. Look at the flow of the story. Jesus has just performed the miracles of the loaves and the fishes, and he withdraws to pray, as he usually does. Jesus' withdrawing to pray is his way of getting to his Father for his nourishment. His Father is his bread. He plugs into the one truth. Those goofy disciples get tired of waiting for Jesus, and can you imagine? They take the boat and they leave him. But Jesus, having been fortified by his Father, approaches them on the water. And as he gets to the boat, they are immediately transported to their destination. They are moved by the one truth, both physically and spiritually. And they learn to see Jesus through different eyes. And they call him rabbi, teacher. The arc of John has moved from a focus of the one little self to a focus on a self in community, to a deeper relationship with Jesus and an understanding of who he is. But it also presents a bit of a coming attraction. How heaven sees the difference between physical nourishment, bread, and spiritual nourishment, the spiritual nourishment of life with a capital L and where that truly comes from. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me and everyone who comes to me I will never drive away for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. The next day, the crowd regathers, now in Capernaum some who'd been in Tiberias the day before, some who had not. But when they ask for bread this time, Jesus presents them with a statement that takes them way out of their self-sense and even out of anything a community can do for them. Jesus tells them there's more to life than the bread that they're asking for, that they're thinking too small, 
Do not work for, br- for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Believe in the one who was sent. And the crowd says, but wait, what? The crowd totally misses the sense and the glory of that statement. And the people ask again, asking for what they call Moses' manna, the bread that fed the community of Israelites through the Exodus. They're still looking for just bread. They're still pretty much concerned with their little selves and their physical needs. Miracles are awesome, Jesus, as long as it feeds my hunger and speaks to my truth. But Jesus speaks instead to the one eternal truth, the truth with a capital T, that they have not yet heard. While the crowd still thinks he's going to give them bread, he says to them, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread, just as his father was to him. Jesus goes on to tell them that eternal life, Life with a capital L is given only to those who eat his flesh and drink his blood. And at this point, the disciples become concerned, saying, Jesus, this is hard stuff you're saying. Who can accept this teaching? So Jesus tells them plainly, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, those are spirit and those are life. Spirit with a capital S and life with a capital L. As Jesus had also told them, whoever loves this life will lose it, but whoever hates his life on earth will gain it in eternal life. Richard Foster, a Quaker minister, said, we are saved when we allow God to free us from the slavery of self-interest and fear, which allows him to come closer to us. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And when those who could not accept his teaching, who didn't want to take the journey past themselves and their own needs and their own truths to this new truth with the capital T, they left Jesus. And the disciples that stayed became true apostles that day when they chose that life, that life of the spirit, the eternal life, the life rooted in Jesus and in heaven. And only at this time had they journeyed far enough for Peter to then be able to call Jesus by his real name the Holy One of God. The Ark of John 6 covers the journey from physical bread in one little self to becoming part of a bigger learning community and onto the importance of leaning only on our source, the Holy One of God, of taking our essential nourishment only from Him to the only one that matters over every physical thing we know and every truth we hold dear, every self-belief, every self-interest. For only there, as we rely on the source of our lives, can that little self, and even the little self in community, truly do the work of the kingdom. That journey is not an easy one. It's full of hard truths, hard truths about our sense of importance in this world and heaven's sense of importance as to what we might do to advance the kingdom, about what it is we are really called to do and to be in the world 
in the time given to us. It is, in fact, the only journey we will ever take that really matters. It means we are called to leave behind the comfortable. It means we are called to actively be apostles in the hard truths of a hurting world and that we cannot ignore them or rationalize how we respond to injustice or poverty or abuse. We cannot sit on the sidelines. We are called to be all in and to move our attention from all the things that our little self pays attention to and all the truths that we cannot leave to the things that the kingdom needs for us to do to advance. We must recognize, as Jesus taught, there are no throwaway people on earth, no second-class citizens, no disposable souls in heaven. Every person is an unrepeatable and unique gift of God binding us together in humanity, brothers and sisters, each with inestimable worth and inalienable rights. Every person has been given a unique and critical job to do for the kingdom by the one who sustains us. We cannot be marginal Christians. We must stop worrying about physical bread, self-interest, preserving our comfort, and turn and trust in completely the one who is the bread of life. I believe that God's heart for you and me today is that we would put down our small little selves and take an honest look at our hearts and recognize our need for the transformation that he can bring to our lives. Brothers and sisters, in this very hard season, where are you on this journey? Can you make that full transition from little self to missing a community that is dear to you to leaning only on the spirit that gives life? Are you focused on the one truth? And can you make that journey no matter where it's going to lead you? Can you make that commitment? Because the good news is all you have to do first is believe in the one who was sent. First John 5, 3 says, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome until our little individual self makes a different decision. The response to living out your belief in the one who was sent is that you get to build the kingdom. You get to be the people that Christ has called his church to be. So now, as you are invited to participate at the table today, I ask you to reflect on your journey and to ask yourself, as you partake of the bread of life and the cup of salvation, are you really ready to live it out, the journey that takes us to the truth with a capital T, the truth that sets us free? My brothers and sisters, I wish you grace and peace. During this time when we are away from in-person worship, one of the things we've been doing in my congregation is to encourage people to continue gathering safely and in small groups to experience virtual worship together. We share discussion questions each week and encourage people to use those discussion questions as a way to engage around the scripture and the sermon and to experience fellowship together. In her sermon today, Lisa shared some early memories of praying and singing in church. One question you might consider today is, do you have memories like these? And what did they mean to you? Lisa also shared that as she matured, she underwent changes in the way that she understood prayer and connection with God. As you have matured, what changes have you seen in your own understanding of prayer and connection with God? That might be a second question to consider. Peace be with you this day.